This all takes place in broad daylight in the forest with the Miami Ninjas attacking Dragon Sound. <sighs> Everybody. Good day. Welcome to the film room. You might notice that we both sound just a tiny bit clearer. Working off of new mics. That's right. Starting a new year with new mics. Yes, I actually have a mic this time. Yeah! Uh, there there will be no more of the strange fan interruption. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's done. Yes. Here, on this side, there will be no more questionable mic sources. I suppose before we get into the film, we should just give a... You know, by the time that everybody's going to be hearing this... It's going to be pretty well established that this is my first cast recorded as a married man. Woo! Although it's not the first you'll hear uh, in this time. Oh, there'll be a few, yeah. There'll be a few, but um, and you've heard them already, presumably. But um, I was married on uh, December 17th. Two-week anniversary is tomorrow. And so, you know, that's kind of where, where I'm standing right now is, you know. And it was a lovely wedding. It really was. I, I don't know how you guys found that place, but Jesus, it was beautiful. Internet, and yes, it was. Um, of course, uh, my co-host here is talking about it as if he was there because he was there, of course. Fuck yeah, he was. Great time, great party. <laughs> but you know, now we've gotten all the partying and the fun out of the way, it's time to get back to doing what we do best. And boy, do we have a fun, bizarre, strange strange movie to discuss today this goes right in line with our first episode right in line with uh you know the subsequent movies we've talked about that are like this we are doing miami connection miami connection uh a movie that has recently earned a lot of comparisons to the room so of course we have to watch it of course and it didn't disappoint not at all no it's a very different film from the room it's still baffling, but just kind of a different way. It's a very different spirited film. It is. It's an action film, of course, as a film named Miami Connection would sound. It is a uh, case of a film made by a Taekwondo studio. Yeah, a, grand, a grandmaster of Taekwondo. Did YK Kim direct it? or the, the story behind it was that he was drafted to create the film uh, with Richard Park was the guy's name. The uh, guy that was putting it together, Park directed and plays a small role in the film. But um, Kim wound up, basically it was his studio that put the film together. His people, uh, pretty much every single actor in the film was someone from his Taekwondo studio. The screenwriter was one of his students. I mean, this was a movie, 
made by those people. And when it was all said and done after the film had wrapped shooting, uh, Kim wound up reshooting the film and recutting it himself. So it's, honestly, if you were to name a director on the film, yes, Park technically directed the film, but this was really Kim's brainchild. So if we're going to refer to anybody as the creative force on the film, it was him through and through. I would compare that relationship to the fact that Sandy, the script supervisor in the room, technically kind of directed some of it, but it was still Tommy Wiseau's film. Yeah, you you know, at the end of the day, it's Kim that's been the one who's been out front uh, in the subsequent promotion, because uh, we should talk a little bit about the film's history before we get into the actual film, because boy does it have a fun... Kind of sad and then happy history. Yeah, yeah. The The story goes that, again, Park saw an interview with Kim and was fascinated by him and decided to build a movie around him and his studio. And the idea was that it would be a showcase for real martial arts, not the fake movie stuff. Hmm. And we intend to explain at length why that was not a good idea. <laughs> that's uh, That's kind of funny, actually. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, spoilers for the rest of the cast, that was not a good idea. No. Not at all. But anyway, that was the idea. So they put the film together. Uh, it was shot uh, in Daytona with a few shots in Orlando. Uh, the film is entitled Miami Connection. It has nothing to do with Miami aside from... A few mentions. A few mentions. The villains are from Miami. So I guess technically that's a Miami Connection, but I mean... There's no... And that, there's really nothing. From what I've read, Kim pretty openly said, yeah, they, they were trying to piggyback on the popularity of Miami Vice at the time, and... Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. It would have been, wouldn't it? Miami Vice and The Chinese Connection, one of the legendary martial arts films. So the idea was, you know, to riff on those and to reference those. The story, uh, you know, the film was made, the film was shot, uh, it was... Again, uh, Kim came in to uh, afterwards to recut it, uh, put a new ending on the film. Uh, the original ending was apparently much less pleasant, from what I hear. Oh, I could imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, the film did get released in the Orlando area, Daytona, and West Germany for some reason. <laughs> and this is where the story gets kind of dark. Kim was extremely excited about the film. He was just like really reared up and going for it. The film comes out is a tremendous bomb. It is horribly reviewed. One of the local newspapers called it the worst movie of the year. It just it didn't get any good response whatsoever. Kim nearly went bankrupt making the movie. I think probably the only thing that saved him was the fact that in the 1980s and 90s, you know, martial arts kind of went through a pretty successful period there and I don't know, but I would wager that that probably helps keep him afloat. Yeah. Kim, for I should note, was uh, famous for starting what was considered the McDonald's of Taekwondo. Uh, he franchised out Taekwondo Studios. Nice. So the film kind of sits in obscurity until 2010 when uh, one of the programmers for the Alamo Draft House in Austin makes a blind $50 buy for a VHS of the movie. Just a blind buy. Sees it and says, okay, I'm curious. And uh, shows a reel of it during a night where they'll just show random reels of movies to see what gets audience response. The audience goes apeshit for the movie. <laughs> they wind up screening the full film. 
and it plays through the roof to the uh, Alamo crowd. They love it. That's amazing. Yeah. I can imagine that would. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that audience was perfect for it. So, at the about the same time, the Alamo Drafthouse was getting into releasing. They were getting into distribution themselves, and they said, wow, we've got a film here that could really play, could really make some money on the Midnight Circuit. So they go to Y.K. Kim, and initially he turns them down several times because he was convinced that they were making fun of him. His feelings were deeply wounded by what happened. He's been open about that. It broke him. Aww. Um, what finally seems to have turned the tide was that they talked him into screening it at the Asian Film Festival in New York, and it played to rapturous response. Uh, by Kim's own admission, he was just blown away by how people reacted to the movie. And so he decided, okay, go for it. Alamo wound up having a pretty good run with it, and now it's on Netflix. And that's how we were able to see it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And the, subsequently, the film has also gotten the home distribution that apparently it didn't get much home distribution at the time. So it's been rediscovered. It's been found. It's worth noting, it has a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Nice. Admittedly, most of those reviews are people conceding that, well, it's not conventionally good. And even the negative right. reviews are like, it's fun. Right. This, this is a movie that sits outside the uh, standards, but it should be noted, it is at 75%. Uh, there are a lot of very well-received movies in theaters right now that are not at 75%, so... I think it's weird, and I think it should be discussed what... Uh... Like, the resurgence of these types of films, like, you know, Troll 2 and The Room, and, like, where was this culture, like, 20 years ago, you know? I mean, I think it's mostly to do with the internet and the fact that we it have is. access to more stuff. I think that at that time, you just simply weren't in a position to appreciate. Like, right. we, we were so deep into our paradigm of good is good, bad is bad... And mm -hmm. it wasn't, you know, you you would have a little bit of it with the, you know, the Golden Turkey Awards and things like that. Um, I suppose uh, Mystery Science Theater also has a bit to do with that. Yeah, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Boy, we have to talk about that role. You're right. I mean, mm -hmm. th that certainly has been influential on me. Mm-hmm, me too. I mean, I, I was I mean, literally raised on it. I discovered it. After the fact, but not too far after, uh, like 2003, while they were still running it on sci-fi. So, I mean, you know, it's, yeah, it's still still a big influence. My mother uh, was the one who introduced my uh, family to it. And, and, <laughs> nice. she, and she's a fan to this day. We uh, routinely get the riff tracks over to her, so. Yes. Um, we, but yeah, I mean, I that really did play, you're right, that MST3K did a big role, and I've seen several people say that the saddest thing that, that never happened was that MST3K never got their hands on this movie. Yeah. It's not too late. I mean, I don't know how YK Kim would have reacted. Yeah, it's absolutely not too late. They're still going. Yeah. I don't know how he would have reacted. I think he probably... In fact, I think he probably would have been very upset because of how much he was heartbroken by it. Yeah. So maybe... Uh, this was just the right amount of time for this movie to get a resurgence. 
and it really has. I mean, this this is one that has done quite well on the internet. Um, you know, because again, there is a culture out there of people like us who can appreciate unconventional cinema. That's another thing we should bring up is the rise of the outsider art movement. Um, True. You know, that really has coincided with the rise of successful bad movies. We, you know. Mm-hmm. That, th- those two things go hand in hand. They do. Boys, and again, boys, this an outsider film. I mean, at the very least, Tommy Wiseau had some training in film. Well, he'd seen films. That's the thing. He had seen films, yes. Like, not that these guys hadn't seen films, no, but I mean... No, Kim, by his own admission, had only seen six movies before he did this one. Really? Oh yeah. Oh my god. I mean, whenever people say you're doing a movie as if you've never seen a, a movie, that's what this is. This is literally a film made by somebody who had barely seen a movie. See, just for comparison, he was 30 years old when the movie was made. Oh my god. I'm almost 30. I have easily seen... Six movies. Well, hell, in the Marvel casts alone, we did over six films a cast. Oh my god. So just think about that. I can, As good as the Marvel films are, I cannot imagine uh, going my entire life only having seen uh, all the Avengers films. I would have a very skewed perspective. It's a very skewed perspective, yes. So... I mean, just, just to be clear, that's what we were working with here, was a guy who had... No real awareness of filmmaking. A director who, near as I can tell, almost seemed to be there to point and shoot the camera. The DP had the most experience of anybody on the film and has the most credits, uh, mostly television. In fact, I don't know if he has any theatrical credits beyond this movie. It should be stressed that of the cast, one of them went on to uh, do a few more parts in movies like Blood Fist 2. <laughs> that sounds like a martial arts film. Surprisingly, it's a poetic drama about uh, a family getting together over Thanksgiving to deal with the loss of one of their daughters. I would not imagine that with that title. No, it's a martial arts film. I think it's one of the Don <laughs> Dragon Wilson movies. Oh, okay. But still. You got me. Yeah. Still. Man, this is just, this is just a, again, this is a weird movie. Yeah, uh, last night I watched it uh, for the second time. I went on the official site to see if there was a soundtrack, because obviously we, you know, the way our cast works, we want to put some of the soundtrack in there. Yeah. uh, Just for you to appreciate. Let's make this clear to people. The movie has music in it. Oh, does it? The movie has two songs, which um, apparently, it should be noted, were written uh, by... uh, For the movie. They were written for the movie, and they were written by people who were in the movie, even though none of them really play their own instruments. Uh, this is a movie about a band, but they do. the songs were written by two of the cast members. Um, and boy, the songs... We're going to get to the songs individually as they come. But yeah, I did not disappoint. They had like a free download of two of the songs, the two songs that I was wanting. And it's funny because they have like a support this film thing uh, like down the line. Like you can get the Blu-ray, you can get the DVD, you can get... Uh, you know, the gift set with this and then other gift sets. And then you go down the line and you have, like, a vinyl of the soundtrack. And then you have, like, they have, it, I think it's still available, 400 limited copies of a VHS. Okay. Of the film. I'm not a collector of either vinyl or VHS. Um, mm-hmm. 
Uh, note, I can understand the benefits of vinyl. I will never in a million years understand the benefits of VHS. Um, there are none. There are none. Don't talk to me that there are. There are none. Um, no. But man. DVD was superior. It crushed it at the end. I would love to own both of those. I no. would love to own both <laughs> of those. Especially the vinyl for that one because I'm sure it would sound awesome. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I mean, the VHS would, for me, basically be shelf candy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't own a VHS player. But, oh god, I would display that thing. But yeah, I, I collect records, sort of? I have, like, a small record collection that I salvaged from uh, my parents. And uh, I'd kind of like to buy some vinyls from, uh, like, people that are releasing right now. Like, I'd love to buy the uh, vinyl of Amaguchi's new album, just because, you know, 8-bit music on a record. It is. It is. It makes me happy. Not just because, uh, not just for the hipster in me. Um, like, it, it, vinyl's really fucking cool. It is. It sounds great. Yeah. I mean, you play, it's, it's, it's a purely, like, in this electronic age, it's still, it still amazes me things that work, like, on a purely mechanical level. You place the needle, um, the little grooves vibrate the needle, and there's an amplifier. And that's it. It's simple. It's a truly analog format. I love it. But yeah, getting off topic. We do that here. But yeah, there's a vinyl of the soundtrack available. There are VHS copies of this movie available. Uh, get that shit. Because this movie is a VHS movie. You mentioned that there are no benefits to VHS. There are some. And that you can have the authentic experience. Because this movie... Oh man, this movie is so 80s. And that's, that's an understatement. Oh man, I mean... We're still just talking around the movie, but, I mean, it should be noted. Yeah. This movie was made in 86, released in 87. It looks 80s as hell. I mean, it is so... The hair is big and the poofy. Hair. And not just not just hair on the head, but the chest hair. Oh, there's so much chest hair in this movie, because all the guys walk around shirtless. Oh, yeah. And uh, there are beach babes in it, literal. Uh, yeah. I, we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, the dialogue is very 80s. When it sounds human, it's very 80s. When it sounds human, yes. Uh, they they try to go for a lot of that uh, overlapping dialogue feel. I think. I think that's what they're going for. Like, a, you know, kind of a Robert Altman sort of thing. You ought to stay away from Girl Scouts, you know? <laughs> okay. I'm comparing this movie to Robert Altman. I know. I know. But it fits. But I mean, that in itself works in the film. I think that does work in the it film. It does work. It does work. Yeah. It doesn't impede understanding. You know, I mean, the dialogue still feels stilted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's extremely 80s. It is, and again, the music. We're, we're again. I want to hit each song as they come, but uh, we really should just get into the film chron- chronologically. Let's, let's do this. Because yeah. There's just so much to say, scene for scene, for this movie. It's so haphazard. It's so haphazardly made. Like the room, there are scenes that go nowhere. There is a better continuity here than the room. Yeah, I will give it that. There is a clear villain. There is a clear... Yeah. Well, there was a clear villain in the room. It was just incredibly uncomfortable. Poor Juliet Danielle. 
Yeah, I know that we make a lot of references to the room, and we're going to make so many more during this cast, because that really is the most accurate response. This really, like the room, is a movie born of its creator's mindset. The difference is that Kim seems like such a fundamentally upbeat and pleasant person. Yeah. Whereas Tommy Wiseau is a very toxic human being. Yeah. Again, read The Disaster Artist. Uh, If you get a bad feeling about the guy from that movie, oh boy, read the book (laughs) and find out. I guess uh, him and Tommy still talk. Like, I think... Like, I went to I went to a screening of The Room with Greg Sestero in the audience. Still have to post that. But, yeah, I actually... I brought back footage. And it, um, that was a great experience. But, yeah, somebody, somebody asked him whether... Uh, when's the last time he talked to Tommy? He said, this morning, actually. And, God, Greg, Greg loves doing impressions of Tommy. <laughs> I'm sure he does. And I'm sure he probably does the best of anybody out there. Yes, he... He really does. He said, you know, don't, don't be so nervous. It'll work out. <laughs> Something like that. Again. So I'm guessing that Tommy's fully okay with the fact that he wrote a book on the guy. <laughs> that most people would sue for slander. I know. But uh, but drawing back to this one, I mean, yeah, the, the whole film is infused with the nature of its creator. And Kim is such a fundamentally... Like, you read interviews with him, and he's like, you're like, wow, I want to adopt this guy's mindset. Right, exactly. Follow your advice, I read his AMA on Reddit. Uh, we will post that. Which highly recommend. Yeah, it's a great read. Yeah, every question, he thanks them, you know, thank you for your comment, and your, and answers a question, and mentioned several times, like, you know, the martial art it's all about fitness you know mental fitness physical fitness spiritual fitness moral fitness blah blah blah. and he's i guess he's writing a book yeah i would so read that book i would too that's worth knowing the guy the guy preaches this idea of okay well it's gonna have so many benefits for you you look at uh, the photo that they posted where the guy verifies it and you're like wow he's he's in dynamite shape he's 50 yeah well, over 50 now, Jesus. Yeah, he, he's, he's in his mid-50s, and the guy's in pretty damn good shape. Of course, he, again, he's a regular practitioner of martial arts. That, uh, that's pretty good for staying in shape. So, yeah, let's, let's delve into the film. Basically, it starts with uh, ninjas. Yes. I guess there's like a drug deal going on. Yeah, the ninjas interrupt it for some reason. Yeah. Get used to that phrase, for some reason. You're gonna say it a lot, but yeah, and I, I think I mentioned to you last night the um, when I was watching this again, I love the stereotype of drug dealers where they they take a bag, the entire bag, and like just plunge a knife into the center of it, you know, take their finger, taste it, go, mm, it's good, and put it back in the case. It's like there's gonna be cocaine everywhere, dude. Yeah, cocaine is a very fine powder. It spills. <laughs> I mean, it's not this film's fault. That's a trope, but... It's a stupid trope. I know. Also, you've just ruined several thousand dollars of very expensive merchandise. That's true. You contaminated it. Good job. Oh. Oh, jeez. But, okay, it should be noted that uh, at least somebody involved with this movie was familiar with the bare-bones tropes of uh, these movies. This is true. Probably Park, who, again, had made a bunch of them. But he wasn't a noted auteur of great movies. This was not Werner Herzog teaming up with amateurs. 
Right. No. This is this is the guy that directed that one episode of Happy Days once, uh, teaming up with a Taekwondo instructor. Yeah. That's essentially where we stand. But yeah, there's a drug deal going on, and ninjas interrupt it, and uh, there's a scene where you know all the ninjas are staying around, or in their dojo. I don't know what the, te- what the technical term for it is, but they're... Their ninja bouncy castle. The ninja bouncy castle, yes. <laughs> and uh, the head comes in and goes, uh, Where's money? All of you forgot the most important thing. The money! I brought it here. Make no more mistakes. You understand? That guy comes in with this really thin, like, it's not even a briefcase. It's like a burlap bag. Like, it's really thin. And he plops it in front of the constructor. He's like, I brought it here. Don't fail me again. Hi! And then that's the last of you here, the ninjas, for uh, a full hour. And it's pretty much the last time that the drugs are going to matter in this film at all. Right. Let let me stress, the movie opens with a, a drug deal, and because it's the 80s, you think that's going to be a major thing. And essentially, the drugs are just a background in this movie. I mean, I can't even call them a MacGuffin. No. Because the band is the MacGuffin. Yeah. The band and the beef between them, for whatever reason, there it is again, are the MacGuffin. So it's kind of weird. It is. Oh boy, this is a... Again, it's weird. You mentioned the band. Now at last, we can come to discussing the first and the most awesome of the two songs. By Dragon Sound. That's the name of the band. (laughs) Dragon Sound. I, when I first heard the music, I was like, okay, this is ridiculously corny and cheesy. But I have to admit that I've also put it on several times since then. Same. I've downloaded it to uh, to my phone. It's catchy as hell. I mean, yes, it's... Loyalty, honesty... Oh my god. It really is catchy. It's it's corny. It's it's so corny that, again, this movie is not even remotely self-aware, but even it references how corny and cheesy the music is. They came in to play goddamn songs for kids! It is. and But it's catchy, and it, it it's very 80s. Oh, it's 80s. The more that I think about it, the more I'm like, you know... If this was something real on the radio in the 80s, would it have sounded that out of place? Not really. No. Going back to MST3K, this is like uh, uh, Hideous Control now from uh, Pod People. Hideous Control now. Yeah. No, it's not the real name of the song, but the song is indecipherable. <laughs> but it's that song, pretty much. To cite another one, the music from Hobgoblins. God, Hobgoblins, yes. Uh, yeah, again, we're, we're bringing up classic MST3Ks here. It fits. You should know that this is the territory we're in. Oh god, yeah. It's so fun. So you've got this, but again, you've got this music that really and truly, it's silly, it's synth as all hell, but 
damn if it doesn't have some energy to it. Yeah. But in the midst of this, you've got the, uh, it's a group of five guys and a girl. I did not bother to learn anybody's names. Me neither. It's, let's see, one of the guys is uh, YK Kim himself. One of the guys has a Oats-esque mustache. And a mullet. And a mullet. Oh, yeah, again. It's so 80s. You can smell the Aquanet. Mullet here, mullet there, mullet, mullet everywhere. And one of the guys, because, you know, we're taking off the cliches, is the token black guy. I would argue that he has the most plot. He does. He does. But these are five guys and the girl. And, of course, the girl is in a love connection with one of the guys in the band. And uh, her brother happens to be... I don't know if he's a leader, but he's like a prominent member of uh, the guys who were fired the previous week. Uh, like the other band. Like, I, I, I don't know. I can't tell if... Here's the thing. Pretty much everybody in this film looks alike. Right. So, so I'm not 100% sure is he... Like, it was he hired by the other band, or... I don't know. Um, I really don't know what part the ninjas play exactly. Yeah. I've seen it twice. Yeah. Because I, I was thinking that he was like... I know that he's running the coke in the club. Like, he's running the coke. Mm-hmm. Um, that part was one of the few plot details that's made clear. But he's... He's running the coke, and I think it's that he's hired by the other band. Because uh, Dragon Sound has become the house band at this club. In spite of the fact that their sound is not even remotely what you would expect for, like, a drug-dealing nightclub. Right. That's your sister, Jen? She's working here? She's not supposed to be here. I don't, I don't know what she's doing here. And that's exactly how the lines are read throughout yes. the film. Yeah. By the way, what this guy has against the members of Dragon Sound is never made clear. No. One scene I've just been itching to bring up on that point is the uh, this guy picks this girl up, you know, from her college class. So he's like, Jane, I've wondered about your family. Do you have any family or anything? I haven't met anybody yet. Or... Well, I have a brother, as a matter of fact. I don't really like him. What? And then, like, they meet, and then it's like, we're given no no real context at this point. Um, even when you learn the context later, it's still kind of nonsensical. Jeff, this is my friend John. Well, Jeff, I heard a lot of good things about you. Where'd you find this son of a bitch? He's a friend of mine from school. A friend? How can you act like that? Shut up! Punch. It is so nonsensical. It really is. You you almost have to create fanon for this. And you yeah, do. I mean, my 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 takeaway maybe there's something creepy and not right with the brother. Right. This this could be a gladiator type situation. <laughs> One of the few things I like about that movie because of how much fun Phoenix had with it. Uh yeah. This could be a gladiator Game of Thrones situation. Yeah, exactly. Just, just, mm. yeah, yeah. But Jesus. It, it, I mean, that because literally that makes as much sense as anything else. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that definitely suffers from what I call "everybody read the script in advance" syndrome. Because right, exactly. No, nobody's actions in this movie make any sense unless you think that they've all read the script in advance. I did not think of that, but that's true. 
And that goes along with the like their second song, like you know we're building up to. Yeah. Um, like the first song is oh yeah friends friends forever blah blah blah. And our next set is defeat the ninjas. They're scum. Yeah. Note that at this point in the movie, it's set in 1980s Orlando. This is about as far from ninjas as you can get. There is no reason to bring up ninjas. The song is literally called Against the Ninjas. And it, it, it is a song about beating up, about destroying ninjas. But at this point in the story, we don't know that ninjas are involved. I mean, we know, but no. the characters don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's... And I should note that that song is also a big piece of 80s fluff. It sounds almost exactly like Friends, uh, with a few key differences. There's a very Pat Benatar vibe to it because it's sung by the girl. With that one especially, if I'd heard it on the radio, I wouldn't blink. Mm. I mean, I would certainly, it's certainly not as good as the awesomeness of Friends, but that's because that song is just something else. This... Again, it's very Pat Benatar. It's very Joan Jett. Um, it's 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 not bad. It's not bad. But it's uh, but again, it's so bizarre in the context of the film. And, and while we're ta- talking about the song, we should talk about the home lives of the members of Dragon Sound. Oh my God! Wow, I still don't know what's going on there. There are uh, five college students. Um, although uh, Kim is, it's funny because I mentioned that he is in great shape at his age. He still looks a little old for the conventional college crowd, especially yeah. to be shacking up with a bunch of younger guys. Yeah, he looks older. He he looks older. It's almost as if he got frozen in place would be a better way of seeing it, because he doesn't fit in with them, and uh, they all walk around shirtless. Oh yeah, they do, in this, in this tiny dorm of theirs. They go to the University of Central Florida, which I looked up, it is, of course, a real school, the Knights. They're actually playing in the Fiesta Bowl this year. In fact, um, the, in the college class, all those scenes are taught by real, are taught by real professors. Uh, that's not what the IMDb would tell you. Let's clarify something that the IMDb has. The, the IMDb credits the professor of the uh, computer sciences class as being the voice of K-9 from Doctor Who. Here I have just placed the results of the international programming contest. As you know, we sent a team. They came in fourth place. The Q-Blackham cloning technique replicates from the single cell as a short-lived carbon copy. Efficacy of individuation not completely guaranteed. When you told me that, I got, like, super excited. Like, K-9, I love K-9. And then, like, a few seconds later, it's like, wait, no, no. No. It's not that dude. It's, it's not that dude. <laughs> it's, it's an actual professor, because I've seen... I've seen at least one review where someone mentioned having had the man as a professor. So no, yeah, UCF Knights. They go there, as I said, they just walk around so very shirtless. And they just hang out. And, uh, yeah, mentioning mentioning the token black guy, his arc begins on, like, one of the first hangout scenes. I say he has the most plot, but it's literally only two or three scenes. But, yeah, he does this whole Oscar moment thing where he, uh... She gave me this picture when she was real sick. <laughs> I was only nine years old. And they say a line, like, this is brought up in the Reddit AMA and not really given a clear answer, but one of them says a line. This is your real father? I didn't know. You had a father. I thought we are all orphans. Wait, what? You're all orphans? 
Actually, I, I feel like there was at least a clear answer where he was saying that he liked the idea of them all coming from nothing and coming together to be something better or something to that effect. I see. It's it's a common trope, and um, I'm, I'm not going to begrudge the film for using it. But still, it is a little offbeat. Yeah. But is so not literal orphans, but metaphorical orphans? For, for lack of a better word, orphans. How about that? Okay. <laughs> Sure. Uh, but still, I didn't know you had a father which is a very quizzical line. Of course he has a father. Everybody has a father. Even if they're dead. Biologically impossible not to. Right. Unless you're a test tube baby, you have a father. You still have a father. It's just a weird statement. The speech itself, honestly, it's not that bad. It's it's an interesting it's plot. It's not. It's an interesting plot point. It does show some thought to story. Right, it does. It really does. But the film can't let us think too long on a logical story or concept because we've got to find out what happened with the other band. That's right. Boy, the other band is upset. Before we briefly leave the guy and his father, he mentions that... My mother was Korean. And my father was black American. Uh, That guy has no Korean blood in him whatsoever. No, especially after you see his father, hey... Seriously, that guy has no Korean blood in him whatsoever. YK Kim is Korean. Right. That ain't Korean. No, no. And especially once you see his father, like, if you know anything about genetics, if one side of your parentage is dark-skinned and one side is light-skinned, you're going to be somewhere in that area. His father has lighter skin than him. It's... That's weird. Uh, we will we, we will address the father at uh, the moment when that comes, because I have a lot of thoughts on that scene. But that's the ending, so... But we'll get there. Well, again, yeah, it is funny that they do that with, the, with that race theme, um, which is especially funny because the movie is very racially conscious, pointing out that one of the characters is Israeli, one of the characters is Italian. That's very true. There's... There's even an idea brought up. I think it's interesting, but it goes nowhere. What do you think about a tour? What kind of tour? It would be a world tour, but what would make it special is that we play in each other's countries. You know, like finding our roots. You mean we're going to play in Ireland? Right. While we're in Europe, we'd visit Italy, you know, Tom's home country. We'd visit all the countries where our parents came from. Korea? Ireland? We'd play in Israel. That's where my parents are from. If that scene is there solely to set up the fact that they're all from different parts of the world, then it's very clever. It's worth noting that in this case, the actors, like uh, the Italian guy, the actor's last name is Gennady. Yeah. The uh, Israeli, his last name is uh, Diamond. So, yes, these are these are actors of different ethnicities, and the movie acknowledges that. And it, Again, that goes along with the film's very inclusive attitude towards everything. Well, except the ninjas, because we don't fuck those guys. Yeah, screw the ninjas. But yeah, you're right. You know, again, that, that you know, world tour with the band idea, you know, it's lofty, like in terms of, you know, they're just a small band that, you know, is now the the house band for this club. But, you know, it's a, it, I thought that was a genuinely interesting idea, and it's a clever way to bring up that fact. But again, it goes nowhere. That's another thing that we're going to say a lot on this cast. It goes nowhere. The drugs go nowhere. There's so many things in this movie that are brought up and go nowhere. Um, Even the romance subplot really kind of goes nowhere until the end. 
No. Yeah, you're right, it doesn't. And even then, it's just sort of, well, okay, it's solved, I guess. It's like the movie brings up the idea, but then it doesn't do anything with it. Right. Until you get to the point where there's a speech where one of the characters outlines what has been going on, and you're like, wait, I didn't catch that at all. I lost my job. It got my ass kicked. You remember that hot shot? Now I'm going to tell you what. You get your ass and get this car out of this goddamn town. You got it, pal? Listen to me. I don't want to have any trouble. I just get the job from agent. Don't bother us. Bullshit! I'm gonna give you all the problem you ever thought of, pal. Get out of this goddamn town. Hey, listen, man. Why don't you just go to the club and talk to the owner? He gave us a job. We just worked there, you know? It's nothing to do with us. Bullshit! You took it out. Thank you, But... And and that that scene has an amazing continuity gaffe. Did you catch it? Not remind me. <laughs> when it first cuts to them, there's like four cars of the rival band. Oh. When it cuts back, they've at least doubled. No, I did not notice that. Holy shit! I did. Oh my god! I thought it was pretty freaking <laughs> insane. That is. It also should be mentioned that the other Korean member of Dragon Sound owns a restaurant. And that is, that's a sort of subplot. That was uh, Richard Park as the uncle. Well, that was. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the director cameo. But yeah, that's. I love the scene where he's bringing them food and he's like. I'm in heaven. Oh, great. Tastes good. Yes, tastes good. Uncle Sean, you take great care of us. All he can do is just like sit there and nod. Yes, yes, food. Yes. <laughs> this is what I do for a living. That's what I do. Mmm. But in that first fight sequence, that allows us to really see the big gaffe of the movie more than anything else. And that is that performance-style martial arts does not work on film. Because pretty much every fight sequence is someone runs into frame, and then they pause for just like a split second too long so that the other guy can execute his move. Right, exactly. Uh, This is not hero, people. This is not, you know smooth, amazing, balletic artistry. This is a Taekwondo demonstration, but we're supposed to take it seriously as a fight. And again, pretty much everybody involved in the movie was a student, so, uh, you know, that makes sense that it looks like demonstrations. But here's the thing. The fights do not work, but they're damned entertaining to watch anyway. Oh, they are. Just like a martial arts demonstration would. I don't know if it's used in a fight, but the foot nose grab... Oh man, that's a great that's a great bit because uh, there is a de- there is an actual demonstration in the movie. There is, yeah, like between the students. Yeah, and in that, by the way, I should note that in that sequence, pretty much every move that's used in there, maybe but for that one, because you know the ninjas are masked, is used later on in the finale. True. So there's there's a continuity point for that. But I mean, the fights in this movie. It's almost pointless to describe them because they're so... Well, they're pointless. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really and truly are just... They're just these weird, you know... They don't work visually. No. I mean, it's fragments of plot. Try, you know, trying to weave together fragments of plot is basically what the entire movie is. Yeah. I mean, that's all it is. It's, it's weaving together these little fights... These little fragments, these little scenes that, well, they're interconnected somehow because there's the same people in them. The, the, the way that that scene works, again, it's, 
Also, there's so much slow motion. There's so much slow motion in the film. That doesn't work on martial arts. No. <laughs> no. No, no, no. I mean, I'm, I mentioned Hero, which is, for me, pretty much the gold standard of great martial arts films. That's, that's a film that I've cited before, and I'll cite again. And if you look at that I unfortunately have not seen yet. <laughs> oh, here's the thing. It's a movie that's actually as rewarding for the mind as it is for the eyes, which is amazing because it's utter eye candy. But it has some real ideas to it. And more than anything else, the fight sequences are just tremendously fluid. They just flow. Cool. It it really is a film to watch for the artistry. Well, again, YK Kim is not Jet Li. Right. I want to bring up the beach scene. Basically, they're cruising for beach babes. That's the scene. Yes. It doesn't connect to anything else in the film. Yeah, let's... Let's talk about that scene. Like, they, it has the cheesiest one-liners ever presented on film, even for the 80s. Ooh, hey. yeah. Make it with Rockstar. Hey, baby. That's good, hey. All right. Check it out. You make buns like those down at the bakery. <laughs> that, that, is, that is up there with... I mean, that's just up there with the most lame bits. And then there's a scene where uh, one of the characters is stumbling... And deliberately gropes a woman's breasts. Yeah. And then he... And then she, like, pushes him into, like, a, a sea of, uh, beaching women. And they all just basically toss him around. Whoop! Oh. Who the hell are you? Jerk. It's an asshole! Get away from us! Get away from us! so 80s i mean it's so ridiculously 1980s and you could not get away with that scene today played with a straight face no because it's rank sexual harassment and uh the character looks disgusting for it yeah yeah he does here we're supposed to think oh this is a good time scene this is just a good fun little wee bounce toss oh he's just being playful no he's being fucking creepy he's being yeah just Horribly creepy. And then it cuts to, like, maybe a full minute's worth of, uh, uh, what's-his-name making out with his girlfriend on the beach. Yeah. In the waves. For, like, a full minute. And that goes nowhere and gets so boring so fast. It smash cuts to, like, the gym. Where the... I wasn't clear on that. Is that, like, the gym in the back of the club? Or is it, like, just a gym? There's or no... Is it... There's no sense of time or place in this movie, so... Yeah. I'm going to go with Narnia. I'm going to go with that the gym is in Narnia. Um, The gym in Narnia. There you go. And this is where we get one of my favorite plot points of any movie I've seen this year, which is where the bad guy band uh, enlists the help of the ninjas and makes them an offer that is up there with Birdemic, Um, you know, in terms of the uh, bizarre usages of money. By the way, are you noticing there are certain tropes that are starting to show up in bad movies over and over again? Like, no idea how money works. Right. This one shows up with the bad guy band saying, listen, if you can get rid of Dragon Sound, we will give you all of our earnings. Uh... I don't think deals work like that. They don't work that way even remotely. Because what's that leaving with? Nothing. Right. And why is being the band in this club so important that you're willing to give away all of your money? Because right. if you're not getting your money, then why do you care? You're 
I guess they really, really love playing in that club. It's its own reward. Yeah, because you know Orlando doesn't have any area, doesn't have any nightlife whatsoever, and there's not somewhere else you could go if you were reasonably talented. Right. Now Orlando has no music scene whatsoever. Ah, Jesus. I mean, that's just one of those moments that reflects, wow, you just don't know how anything works, do you? (laughs) I mean, that fails kindergarten economics. It really does. Uh, It's so bad. It is. We have to discuss the biker rally. Oh, yeah, the biker rally. For a good 30 minutes of this movie, I mean, there's the Taekwondo demonstration, there's... More scenes involving the club and, you know, just all these little random stuff. There's scenes at the house. There's scenes at the restaurant. You're noticing there's not any scenes involving, like, a plot or a story. No, it's all just places and set pieces. Yeah. There's a couple of scenes at the classes. Uh, There's a scene where they get to show off their UCF t-shirts. Right. But the biker rally really deserves to be discussed because... Again, we need to stress, this is a movie in which the heroes are fighting motorcycle-riding, cocaine-dealing ninjas. <laughs> and uh, eventually there's a scene at a biker rally for no particular reason. No. No, not really. That scene is just... That scene is where they transparently threw in some nudity to try and get the R rating. Yeah. I think I mentioned to you... Yeah, there's TNA in this movie. In in that order. Yeah. Within five seconds of each other. From two different genders. And boy, are they not... Uh, I don't like to be mean. I don't like to be crude. But this is not fan service in this movie. No. The, the biker women in this movie do not look like... Uh, they look like real biker women. I, I I know what those look like. I've, I've seen them before. They look like real, authentic women that you would see at that rally, and they probably were. That's just it. They almost <laughs> certainly were. Mm-hmm. And it's not... It's just not anything that's particularly pleasant or appealing, frankly. No, not really. It's like, oh, yep, there's your breasts. Okay. Um, can we move on, please? Yeah, can we just please move on to yeah. something <laughs> relevant to something... And eventually, you know, and, and yeah, it goes without saying, that guy's ass, not something I wanted to see. Did not need to see that. No. No, no, no. And eventually, yes, it does move on to something relevant. Um, eventually, they decide to kidnap a uh, mustache guy. Oats, if you will. <laughs> he gets kidnapped. And the members of Dragon Sound have to go rescue him. Because, again, there's some vague semblance of a plot. I mean, really... I watched this movie last week, and I'm still trying to piece together the plot. Mm-hmm. There's just so little of it. Just various lengths of wire. Yeah. In this sequence, you wind up getting one of the great cliches of them all. The Disney death. Yeah, the fall. Yes, when bad guy brother, because that's how I referred to him in my review, which will be posted alongside this, after another uh, fight sequence where you're just sitting there going, okay, you know, if you, like, stop stopping, you might actually have a chance to beat this guy. The bad guy brother, I, I forget, do they wind up rescuing Mustache Guy? 
I honestly don't remember. In fact, until you brought it up, and I watched this last night, I completely forgot he was kidnapped. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe someone out there can tell us. Maybe someone out there can tell us. I don't care, is what it comes down to. Do a point-by-point outline for us, because yeah. we so, don't know. Seriously, somebody make sense of this movie. I, I have a better sense of what the room was about, because at least it had some through lines. Even if they were the same one, repeated. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I could so see somebody like writing a graphic novel from this movie and just filling in all the gaps. Yeah. It's not like there's nothing there. No. I mean, it's just all sparse and spread out and not explained. It's just, it's there. It's, 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 it's there. But if we're making it sound like that's boring, I should stress it's actually not. No. It's quite entertaining. It's it's just that the movie has so little care about continuity that we don't care. It, in fact, the only thing I remember the other scene with the Korean black guy is that he gets a letter. I guess there's one scene intermittent, so I guess there's more than that, where he's sorting through mail. But that's Ooh. all it is. We have to talk about that scene, though, because I believe that that's the scene that contains the classic line. Which one? They're, when they're talking about the drug dealers in the club. Just Dan gang selling stupid cocaine oh yeah oh they know about the drug dealers and they don't like them there's a word that's never spoken in this movie even though it gets an r rating yeah that would be the f-bomb yeah that never shows up in this movie never not once no no but it but it does get good and gory and graphic and they say shit a couple times so there's that and damn obviously that only warrants you a pg-13 though in some cases it only warrants you a pg that's right. It is the 80s. Yeah, you're right. I can think of at um, least one um, 1990 movie that had a nice long dam in it. Damn! <laughs> and, and it also had ninjas in it. That is true. They were terrapins. But, I mean, this movie, again, so you got that wonderful line in there, and you also have suggestions for stage show stuff, like the idea of, ooh, we should integrate breaking bricks into the stage act. <laughs> and you think to yourself... You know what? It's the 80s. Do it. Sure. That would go over great in this era. They do integrate the uh, the nose pinch. Yeah. We're, we, we got off track. Let's get back to the Disney death. Because you're right. that Yeah, there is the scene where he sorts it, and then, yes, he does finally find his father. Then we, we got to deal with the Disney death, which is bad guy brother dies by falling. <laughs> they don't even kill him. And they'll kill a lot of people in this movie. Members of Dragon Sound have a lot of blood on their hands. Mm-hmm. But he winds up falling, and I should note that this sequence takes place in broad daylight. Actually, the majority of action sequences take place in broad daylight. Uh, which is weird. Is that is that the fight sequence in the um, the construction yard? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, I think my favorite thing, and it caps the scene off, is one of the biker guys going, Right here! Come on, boy! Come on, big boy! Right here! The guy, like, knocks him out cold with one punch and walks off. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, that was legitimately cool. Yeah, the bad guy dies via his Disney death. And that's what finally invokes the wrath of the ninjas. Because finally the full ninja clan decides to descend because apparently he was their connection or something. Again, my kingdom for any explanation as to what the hell was going on. But this leads to the finale and... Boy, is this very room-esque. Oh, yeah. 
again, before we get there, somewhere in there you've got the explanation of the uh, girl and her boyfriend, and she gives the long speech about, we broke up, but now we're back together, and you're just like, huh? What? When did that happen? Yeah, when did that happen? When, when did y'all break up? I didn't I didn't see that. There's also the, um, uh, again, the, the Korean black guy, he gets a letter in the mail saying, oh, they found my father, at last! Yeah. The only other scene we spend with him. And it's like, you know, the Veterans Administration does keep very... Unless your father is homeless, which the movie very clearly uh, suggests he's not, given the no. shape he's in when he shows up at the end, the Veterans Administration probably knew exactly where he was. They very good care of that to follow people, you know? Right. This doesn't work. No. No, no, no. So... I don't know. And he doesn't look like a deadbeat dad. No. But again, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that when that moment we'll comes. Because we got to talk about the finale. Because first it's time for them to suit up in the next big B-movie trope. They're wearing suits when the ninjas attack. Yes. <laughs> they're on the way to uh, meet the guy's father. And they're wearing the nicest 80s suits imaginable. Try not to laugh. Try not to laugh. And who's who is the first person that gets sliced up? It's him. Of course it is. Let's face it. We got to do our cliches. So black guy gets first, and it's worth noting in the original cut of the film, he dies because it's actually kind of very clumsy that he's even supposed to have survived. It is like that. Even just watching the film, I get the vibe that. Oh, that was weird. Why did he go through that if he just survives and meets his father anyway? And he will survive, by the way, with next to no damage whatsoever, even though they seemed to disembowel him. Right? His tie is even, like, cut in half. That's how That's how hard they hit him. Like, right across the stomach. He should have bled to death. Jim was extremely fortunate. The wounds weren't as deep as we initially thought. He did lose a lot of blood. But there was very little internal damage. And, and, and there is, of course, the natural screaming and horrified anger. And everybody winds up shirtless again because, you know, got to be there. And Of course. It's worth noting that for these scenes, the actor that played the white ninja was actually replaced in the reshoots. Really? Yeah. Because he's masked, you don't notice it. But he's actually replaced with one of the uh, burly bearded biker guys. Try fading that under a mask. Yeah. It, it, I, I, I didn't notice the reshot scenes, but I could tell that there was definitely something funny going on with that sequence just because of how weirdly shot it is. This all takes place in broad daylight in the forest with the Miami ninjas attacking Dragon Sound. <sighs> and let me note, they refer to themselves explicitly as the Miami ninjas. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you're a ninja, I wouldn't attack in the daylight. I mean, I don't know about you, but... I wouldn't. I would go under cover of darkness because that really stands out. I mean, I'm not even going to get into the whole lore of the ninja uh, attire and about how it's completely inaccurate to what exactly. they actually wore. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you're all smart enough to know that. In this movie, they dress like stereotypical ninjas even though the film was made by people who really should know better. Right. It's um, really weird. It is so weird. This fight sequence, again, every single move in it was set up. Place, kick, place, 
punch. Please? Backflip, kick, punch. And it, since we'd seen in the previous demonstration, when the uh, white ninja comes out to the main characters with knives, we know exactly what's going to happen to him. The movie's already told us. Mm-hmm. Oh. But it's fun to watch. Again, I stress, I, I'm, I'm talking about this as if it's bad, and it is, but it's damned entertaining to watch. It is. It's, it's infectious how silly it is. It is. You, you really get into it. This movie is an hour and a half, or an hour and 26 minutes. It doesn't feel like that. No, it does move. It does move very fast. For as, for as disjointed as it is. I mean, cause, yeah, that's about the same length as a talking cat. And God, did that one drag. And that had more of a plot, sadly. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately. But, but here's the thing. The characters in this movie, when they speak, it is interesting. And when they do stuff, well, they do stuff. That's the thing. They certainly do that. Like I said, I would I'd absolutely love for a fan somewhere to write a graphic novel version of this film that fills out all those little details. Yeah, I mean, cause that's the thing. I, I feel like there's the basis here for something really interesting, and if somebody had made, if somebody with talent had made this movie, it might have been legitimately gripping. As it stands, it's kind of offbeat gripping, but yeah, gripping is still gripping. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, the, the fight sequence goes as you would expect. The heroes kill a bunch of the bad guys and win. And I guess that's the end of the plot because the next sequence is they do make it to the hospital. The fatherless guy does get to meet his father because he's being wheeled out immediately, same day from the hospital. Yeah, with seemingly not a scratch on him. Have you never had, like, surgery? Because they would have had to have performed massive amounts of surgery. There would have had to have been right. epic levels of blood transfusions. He would have been in ICU for at least a few days. Again, there's no way the guy actually survives. But, presuming that he does, he's probably suffered some brain damage because of all the blood loss. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. But then the father shows up. And you mentioned, yeah, he doesn't look like a deadbeat dad. Let's talk about the other thing he doesn't look like. Older than the actor playing his son. That's true. I mean, he's virtually the the same age. Uh, Hell, I'm not even so sure. Since he's never in... Is he ever in the same shot with his son? I think maybe one that might be just... That might be just um, a montage trick. Because the actor... Because I'm thinking that might have been... The, that could have even been the same actor playing the father. Ooh, I don't know about that far. Like I mentioned, he was a little bit lighter skin than his Yeah, son. you're probably right about that. But I mean, I, I bring that up because the, guy, the actor wasn't credited in the film. By the way, please huh. don't read the credits and try to make sense of them. You will lose your mind. The credits make no sense on this movie. <laughs> the, the Writers Guild of America did not approve the credits for this movie. <laughs> no. Because the writing credits make no sense at all. And that seems fitting. But yeah, the, the father shows up. Jim, you're really blessed to have such wonderful friends. They really care about you. And I want you to know that now, I really care too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Where were you for 30 years? I know! <laughs> because the character doesn't act like someone who would have ran off. Um, no. But you know, 
here's and in that final speech, it finally hit me what this movie reminded me of, and that is the movie within the movie uh, in Super Eight. Yeah, yeah. It's me, your boss. I need you to buy my wife a ticket to Michigan. It's too dangerous for her here. I just love her so much. The 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 dialogue in this movie is about as stilted and about as weird as it is in that film. Of course, in that case, uh, the film was written and directed by J.J. Abrams, who was doing it on purpose. He was doing it deliberately. And right. Um, if you've not seen Super 8, it's also on Netflix. Yeah, it's a great movie. Just uh, just to be absolutely clear, this is the, the film at the end of Super 8 that the kids in the film were making. Yes, this is a movie supposed to be made by children, and... And that sequence is hysterical. It's 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 great. <laughs> it's so wonderful. It's the payoff that uh, the movie is setting up. It's so worth it. It is. But in that case, it's written by an actual talented writer, directed by an actual talented director, and as clumsy as the bad acting that these kids are going for is, you can tell from the rest of the film that these are really great young actors. This movie achieves all of that effect without any of the talent behind it. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I think I think of the scene in uh, in the movie within the movie where they're talking about Vietnam, and <laughs> because they're kids, it has no depth or weight whatsoever. I never would have given you this information if we hadn't served together in Vietnam. These were hard times. I'd rather not talk about it. That's how every line of dialogue is in this movie. Yeah, exactly. That's just insane. So, I just, I don't know. I, I, it just, this movie is just so, it's so baffling. Ah, uh, God. But it really is entertaining. Like, I, I, I don't know. It, like, if, if someone pressed me to describe this movie with one word, that would probably be it. Because I don't know how else to describe it. It's, it's baffling, but it's, but it is fascinating. I feel like the reason that it's not as annoying as something like a talking cat is because, for one thing, it was made with genuine passion. It was. You can sense that in every frame of the film, as bizarre as they are. It's like, well, you were misguided, but you were trying something, and this legitimately is the movie you set out to make, and that's awesome. Right. But man, this still doesn't make any sense. And, yeah, there are some genuinely interesting plot threads that, yeah, i kind of like to follow up on. What's going to happen with Dragon Sound? You know, are they going to do their world tour? What's going to happen with the rest of these guys? There's obviously, you know, there's some interest there. There is. I mean, you know, if a sequel had been made, I would have watched it. Yeah. I mean, just, there's some interest there, but just not with the main plot. Because the movie isn't interested in it. I think that's the thing. The movie doesn't give a shit about the main plot. Exactly. So it's like it dares us to care about the main plot. It's just, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I'll say this. The editing on this podcast is better than the editing on the movie. (laughs) Hands down. I'm not one to toot my own horn, but yeah, I'll agree with that. I mean, again, the movie just does not, it doesn't make any sense, and it's bizarre. But it is so watchable. It's like to me, this is a good starter movie for someone who's trying to understand our taste in film. Mm-hmm. This is a great starter movie because, again, maybe the fight sequences aren't like legitimately well made, but they are at least entertaining to watch. And 
you know, you can't at least respect the artistry that is on display. I mean, these people did know what they were doing. It just didn't translate to screen. Right. You know, and the music is fun and catchy, and it's, it is it is funny in places, and probably not for the reasons that they intended, but... Right. But this is one that I would hand to somebody. I would never hand them Birdemic as a starter. No, 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 no. Like, even in bad movie circles, that's kind of viewed as a high level. Right, right. That's advanced bad filmmaking. This is... This is... This is lighter. It's... It's... Yeah. It's fun. It, yeah, I am saying you should watch it. And I am saying, get a bunch of people together. Get some beers. Even if you're not a beer drinker, get some beers anyway, because that seems to be the most fitting thing to drink with this. Yeah, I'd say it's this. Oh, God. It, a Talking Cat is probably even more advanced than Birdemic as oh, yeah. far as that yeah. goes. Yeah, because at least with Birdemic... Like, at least with Birdemic, I could say to somebody, yes, you should see it. If only... Like, I would say, watch the first half and then maybe ten minutes of the bird half. Right. Because that movie gets so uninteresting once the birds show up, ironically. <sighs> yeah. With this one, I, I don't know. I, I just, I'm, I'm kind of circling here because at the end of the day, my thoughts are what they are. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I had fun watching it. And, uh, yeah, it's bizarre. But you, you can see the, 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 the spirit behind it. The ADR work in this movie is pretty horrible. It is horrible. Yeah, that's nowhere. That's nowhere more clear than in that opening. You know, the first confrontation with the brother, and like the whole the whole Dragon Sergeant gang comes in from seemingly nowhere, and. Uh, Just remember what I said. If you don't want to get hurt, you don't scare me at all. Jane, I want to talk to you all. later. Goodbye. They do not match not at, at all. all. Not at all. Again, I think that's reflection of reshoots too. Um. The, uh, another thing I wanted to point out is there's at least one scene where they don't ADR things. And they should have. Yeah, and there's a scene where they're, like, walking uh, somewhere and you can just hear, like, the, the ambient noise is as bad as the uh, rest of the talking. It's, it's so... It's, it's not well done. I found the title card. It says, Only through the elimination of violence can we achieve world peace. But, I mean, for God's sake, one of the ninjas chops the other ninja's heads off. Yeah. That happens. Which is... It's actually a pretty decent effect. <laughs> yeah, it's actually... It really is a... It's a me... It's probably mediocre on a regular level, but on this level, it's right. really pretty damn good. Uh, that's another thing I should note. <laughs> yeah. the, the gore effects on the film are actually pretty damn good. Yeah. I mean, they reflect the film's budget, but they are good. I mean, the fact that we're saying that that guy should have died should tell you that, yeah, the film does get pretty graphic. This is an R rating earned. It is. It is. But through the violence alone. Through violence alone. Which is so strange that they should put that title card on there. Because this is not a movie that preaches the value of peace. It is a movie that preaches the value of, you know, working together and friendship. Right. But tolerance it, and all that. But not peace. <sighs> it's... Uh, oh, shit. No, not... In fact, one of, their first, one of their first instincts in one of the scenes is to, uh, is to fight them. Like, there's a, there's a scene, I think it might be the the uh the construction yard scene where it's like they're confronting them and you know this last time it's like in my mind it's like okay what would a real like um head of a martial arts dojo do they would try to reason with them they would try to they would try to talk it out before resorting to violence nope they just go right into it like i think they might even throw the first punches hilariously kim in his uh Ask Me Anything says, yeah, if you're in a fight, try and reason your way out of it first. 
try and run away if you have to. Exactly. Like, even even within the realm of uh, martial arts movies, they even, they even try to preach that. Like, you know, Karate Kid. It's like, yeah, you, um, you learn this stuff, so you never have to use it. Yes, but that was actually a movie about the subject that seemed to have been made by people who had an understanding of how... That's another thing. Okay, I know that Kim is a world expert on Taekwondo, and I realize that like a lot of the mythologizing of Taekwondo in this movie is before it became what it became, in no small part thanks mm-hmm. to people like him franchising it out. Man, this movie has a naive view of Taekwondo. It does. In America, it has become so watered down and so just not even remotely what it is. Um, if you want to see a movie about what Taekwondo has become in America today, uh, rent the foot fist way if you get the chance. But yeah, that's kind of that's kind of baffling that this film would kind of miss the mark on that. Yeah, well, again, I feel like partially my my, my reaction is due to the fact that as I said, it has become what it became in the years since. Uh, for instance, you know where the American Taekwondo Association is based? Where? You would be guessing that it was somewhere, you know, not Little Rock, Arkansas, in other words. Yes. Versus where it's actually based, which is Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh my god. No, I, <laughs> I am not trashing Little Rock, Arkansas, as I am recording. No. As I've noted before, I'm recording from there. I was just there a couple of weeks ago, and it's a very pleasant place. It's a, it's a lovely town, but yeah, Taekwondo has, it's not, it's not become what it was idealized as, um, in this movie. It's, it's very much become like soccer, you know, like what soccer has become here in America. And it's actually gotten worse because of so many people practicing these bullshit philosophy, you know, these bullshit styles that have no practicality whatsoever. I, I recommend people read up on this if they get the chance. The point is that, yeah... There's a lot about this movie that doesn't quite seem like it fits reality. Yeah. But that's largely the reality that's happened, and also the fact that, as I said, the fighting just doesn't work in real life. Mm-mm. It's like, there's, n- there's no... Fu- there's, there, there's no... There's no punching to the groin in this movie. No. A.K.A. the fight ender, but... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I... I as I said, I... The film's on Netflix, and I feel like if I have anything left to say on it, it's that I do recommend it. Yeah, go go watch it. I mean, as much as we've described it, we I know we haven't covered everything, and no. it does have to be seen to be believed. Rarely does that phrase make as much sense as it does here. You have to, you have to see it. You don't endure it. You have to experience it because it is an experience. And it, at the end of the day, it's a. This is one I would love to see with an audience. I really hope Drafthouse uh, is showing that soon. Well, again, because it is uh, because it is their releasing company, I would imagine so. Uh, oh, man, it would be a blast to watch in an audience. And I believe that the film plays great to an audience. Um, it, it's just so damned infectious at the end of the day. Yeah. So, yeah, watch it. That's my thoughts. Yes. What do we have next time? I believe this is the video store cast. Yeah, the video store cast, that's right. This was going to be the cast that was going to take place here, but we both watched this movie and agreed, yeah, this had to take first priority. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, yeah, we've, uh, I think we're scheduled up until, yeah, we're scheduled till May. Um, of course, you know, it's a very flexible schedule. 
But yeah, we got a good year planned for you guys. Yeah, y'all get ready because we've got, uh, here's the thing. As of the day that we're recording this, we've got a deep bench of casts already recorded even. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time that you will have heard this, at the time that we're recording this, we've got two riff episodes in the bank. Right. They're going to be released. They're going to be released back to back, aren't they? Yeah, they're going to be released pretty much back to back. And again, y'all have already experienced these, so yeah. But uh, next up, we're doing a eulogy for the video store. Yeah, this was, again, this was moved originally from around the time of your 30th birthday. Yeah, we're thinking about um, that. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, since since we planned that, though, the Blockbuster close happened. And, you know, while Blockbuster is not the only video store, is the last major chain still standing. I know that there are um, at least some independent video stores still running. And that's something I actually want to talk about is why are the independent Mm-hmm. But uh, we're we're gonna you know we're gonna throw out our memories. Mm-hmm. We're gonna kind of expand on some of the stories that we've told in the past. We brought up video stores before because we have to. Oh yeah. But we're gonna talk about the joys, the the highs, the lows, and we're gonna bid it one nice farewell as we move into the Netflix era. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's coming. I mean, it's it's gonna be a bittersweet cast. You can email us at filmroompodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on the Facebooks at facebook.com slash thefilmroom. Like us on there. We post many reviews of stuff. By many, I mean M-I-N-I mini reviews um, of stuff we've recently seen. Upcoming news, we share that. Of course, we post the cast there. You know, lots of goodies there. Same with our Twitters. Uh, at Film Room Cast. I post like edit updates and you know different things like that. All our social networking accounts aren't really concurrent with each other. That is to say, uh, what you find on the Facebook page won't ne- won't be necessarily what you'll find on the Twitter page and vice versa. We try to differ them up just to give you like a nice full experience without seeming redundant. You'll see more trailer links on the Facebook page, for example. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, we follow a lot of film things on the Twitter page, so we, like, retweet those, pass those along, just fun little things. And you might even get, like, announcement previews, uh, more announcement previews of what we're doing next on the Twitter page, for example. But anyway, our individual Twitters, Austin over there, is at UntitledUser. I am uh, at PrimitiveManPRD. More personal there, but we do talk a lot about film, obviously. <laughs> That's Miami connection. Yep. Damn. We will. We will see you next time. All right. Bye, everybody. Enjoy the dulcet tones of Dragon Sound as they play us out.
Where did everybody go? I don't know. Looks like another gang. Ah, uh, we need to get these gangs out of Central Florida anyway. That's true. Let's get out of here. <laughs>